about funny stuff. Serious about food. Serious about anything that I'm in the mood for. Serious. Let's get serious. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Talk to me, talk to me, tell me about your fantasy. Let's get serious. Hi, this is Kendall Bruns. You're listening to Let's Get Serious podcast. And my guests today are Dave Erlockus and Zach Whittington from Battery Mouth. So, how you guys doing? Good, man. How about you? I'm good. Yeah, hanging as in well. there. Doing, doing, doing yeah. well. Really well. Uh, so, what is Battery Mouth? Battery did Mouth? Did I say? No, I, <laughs> I don't think you did. I just said Battery Mouth. I didn't say yeah. anything. All right, I'll leave it to you. Uh, jump in here, Zach. Uh, sure. Battery Mouth is a two-person long-form improv group. And uh, the show we're doing right now is we improv- improvise a uh, kind of like a, a short one-act comedic play in 30 minutes off of one suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, it's just uh me and uh me and Dave up on stage for half an hour going at it, improvising, making people laugh, having fun. It's a good time. And this is a show, the show's called It Burns. Mhm. That's like this run of Yeah, that's the name of our 5-week run. And it is at uh Second City in the Demont Theater. That is correct. Which I had been to Second City a few times. Mhm. I think the DeMott Theater is a new space there. Yeah, my understanding is it's been around for just a little less than a year. For people who know Piper's Alley, it used to be the Black Orchid space yeah. that they kind of renovated and, and built out this new theater and some classrooms and uh, turned it around. So yeah, it's relatively new. I got a little lost. <laughs> a lot yeah, of people do. There's a lot of turns and uh, empty rooms in there to get lost in. So. And there's a lot of Second City spaces Mm -hmm. so you can yeah i i first went to donnie's skybox Mm -hmm. and was you know sort of embarrassingly turned away (laughs) then i ended up out on the street again next you know there's that's unfortunate there's the etc theater there's the main state it's just this second city Central. Yeah, I think that I think this is their fourth stage right yeah. now, isn't it? Right, because there's the main stage, ETC, Donnie Skybox, and now the Demott. So yeah, they are ever yeah. expanding. Eventually, all of Piper's Alley will just be Second City theaters. Mm. But you tell people, hey, you know, we're doing a show, mm-hmm. an improv show at Second City. That's got that sounds pretty good. Oh yeah, that, people like that. Yeah, the name goes a long way in uh, helping promote a show. So, is this the first time that the two of you have done a show at Second City? No, we've done a show at Donnie Skybox before. Oh. At Second City. So, is that one even a little more prestigious? Or does it just depend? I think it all, all depends. I, I don't know if there's really a hierarchy between those two stages. Um, they're, they're different. They're like snowflakes. Uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they say all that about uh. snowflakes, but... Some snowflakes are definitely better than others. Like I've seen some shit snowflakes, and then sometimes you see a snowflake and you're like, "All right." Well, that's that's the misconception. Like most snowflakes are not that original. Most snowflakes look like shit and are yeah. uh, asymmetrical. You know. Yeah. It also depends on how closely you look at them. Yeah, that's true. You know. So I mean, that probably goes for pretty much anything, though. 
Yeah, but snowflakes, I feel like the closer you get to those, the better they look. Where there's a lot of things where I bet if you got closer to them, they're just going to look poorer. Yeah. Like if you were to hold a microscope up to my face, mm-hmm. pretty quickly you're going to get to the poor level, and, and that yeah. is not going to be fun yeah, for anybody. I, f- I feel like the closer I get to you, the less I, I want to be close to you. But what if there was a snowflake on your face? That would keep me more interested, I think. Yeah, then, then it's kind of, you know... I'd stop looking at your face, just look at the snowflake. It kind of evens out. You can choose what you're focusing on. Yeah. How well do the two of you know each other? Pretty well at this point. Yeah. We've known each other for, what, six years? Yeah, I think so. I moved here 2004. We met in 2005. Yeah, about six years. Yeah, we, uh, we met at IO, formerly known as Improv Olympic. We were taking classes there together. How long ago was it formerly Improv Olympic? Just a couple of years. Because it well, seems like, like one of those things where, like, how long are people going to say formerly Improv Olympic? I feel I, like it switched, like, 2005, 2006, like, around the time we started taking classes. And I think, I think we should just call it IO now. Wait, we're, we're collectively cool with this. In this I'm, moment in time, we're yeah. going to say it? Let's just, so just IO? IO. From IO. here on out, it's just IO. Yeah. If someone asks what the IO stands for... Then we can tell. Then you have the conversation. I think that's... I mean, it's kind of like if IO is still saying... Hey, formerly Improv Olympic. Like, was it really? Shouldn't they have just stayed Improv Olympic? But they would. They can't because they would get sued. Oh, is that why? That's yeah. the whole thing from Mr. Olympic. Oh, all the Olympic people. Yeah, I got see. That. Which I did not know until that point in time that you can't have Olympic in your name at all, Mm-mm. unless you're like the Special Olympics. Because let's face it, who's going to sue? <laughs> The Special Olympics. That is yeah. You're a jack. You're that a is a PR well, nightmare. If they right change there. your name to Special O, formerly <laughs> formerly known Olympics. as Special Olympics, we will but know then you get what confused. Happened. Maybe it's a breakfast, new breakfast cereal to try. Kellogg's will just get yeah, pissed yeah, like off. Special O. Special O. Yeah, it's a, Special O sounds like uh, Special K in a new form because they're exactly. always that's what they do. You know they they take the product, they have to reinvent it. Mm-hmm. People already buy Special K. People are bored with Special K. They're like, what if we make it an O shape? It's and like Fruity Pebbles and then marketing? Cocoa Fruity Pebbles. Yeah. yeah. Do they have Cocoa Fruity Pebbles? Oh, yeah. I think they're just Cocoa Pebbles. Are they? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because it would be... Why would you want Cocoa and Fruity in the same pebble? Well, I mean, you eat a chocolate-covered strawberry. That's true. That's very true. It's weird. The chocolate and different fruit... Like, does chocolate and orange juice go together? Uh, I don't I'm know gonna, about I'm orange gonna juice. I'm going to say no. I'm just going to go ahead and say no. I know no. chocolate but, and oranges do. Aha. Uh-huh. That's different, though. How strange is that? Why? I think it's a solid liquid thing. Mm-hmm. Like you don't drink, you wouldn't want to drink orange juice and then turn around and drink chocolate. Okay. Milk. How about an orange mm. and hot chocolate? Ooh. I feel like I should be making a list. Like the I permutations know. of orange and chocolate that I need to go home and test yeah. out. Yeah, it's interesting. Where's the delicious on that Venn diagram? I just had a chocolate covered marshmallow mm-hmm. the other night. Um, I was expecting the thing was disgusting. It was surprisingly okay. But that's a classic s'more. That's a s'more. And well, no, I well, but there's no graham cracker. <laughs> there's no graham cracker, so it's not classic <laughs> at all. You're right. I'm sorry to disappoint you guys, but it was it was it was just like a big marshmallow covered in this like crispy How chocolate. Big, was it like larger than a regular marshmallow? No, no. It was it's kind of like a classy kind of oh, like candy. a homemade. Marshmallows like yeah, it was hard kind of edged a, instead of exactly, and it was kind of in a uh, rectangular <laughs> shape, like it had been chipped off a large block of marshmallow. True, like craft exactly. Craft That's nice work if you can get it. Being a marshmallow cutter off of the large block, 
Yeah. Marshmallow cutter also sounds like an insult of sorts. You marshmallow cutter. But yeah, I, guess, I wouldn't want to be called a marshmallow cutter. I guess a lot of the, you know, true hardworking professions serve that. You pipe welder. Yeah, see? Pretty yeah. much anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, since you guys know each other so well, mm-hmm. I thought, I haven't done this before, but I thought I'd try an experiment where, Dave, maybe you tell me short, like short, brief version of Zach. What's his, what's his story? Where did oh. he come from? Uh, tell me a little about himself. <laughs> Well, uh, Zach is not originally from Chicago or let alone even the Midwest. Zach is a Southern boy and uh, went to college at Ole Miss. A Southern gentleman. Either way you want to cut it. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Kendall. (laughs) He is a gentleman. Uh, Went to school at Ole Miss and then after a year of being out of school. What did he go to school for? A theater acting performance. Okay. Didn't, Uh, Didn't trust Dave on that one, huh? Oh, sorry. I thought you said, what did you go to school for? I said he, but it's okay. Okay, my bad. You want to talk about yourself in the third person? It's okay. (laughs) Can I take over? (laughs) Fine, fine. No, uh, he moved to Chicago uh, with his good buddy and a a good buddy of mine as well, Mark Walkley, and uh, moved to Chicago for theater and improv and has been doing that for the past six years. He's Moved, Moved here specifically to do theater and improv. Yep. Okay. And uh, he's also a member of the uh, sketch comedy group Long Pork, which you're familiar with. I, yes, interviewed some of the Long Porkers, which I, is a phrase I just created. And that should be used more often. Long Porkers, that's got a certain ring yeah. to it. Yeah, I interviewed I like them it. a few She's episodes good. ago. If you're mm-hmm. interested, you can find that. But not, Zach was not one of the No, I was not there at the time. No. Wait, Dave, yeah. you, should, you should say that. Uh, Zach was not there at the no, time. No, he wasn't. Okay. I was wondering... Where he was. And I, I had pneumonia. I, uh, well, that's what I hear. Yeah, that's the but word on the true. street. It's, I mean, it's, it is, it's not a rumor. It's, okay, well, we'll talk about that more. Right. Um, he okay. allegedly had pneumonia. Dave, do you have anything else? Uh, and he has the aesthetics of the 1970s. Dark wood. He has the aesthetics or he appreciates he, the aesthetics? I would say both. Zach yeah. looks like he's from the 1970s he, to me. Dark wood is built into my marrow. <laughs> <laughs> you should see a doctor about that. Okay, and now Zach, um, explain Dave. <clears throat> Dave Erlakis. Um, I've known him for a while now. His name's Dave. His last name's Erlakis. You know um, the pronunciation. Yeah, I got the pronunciation down. Now, uh, Dave is originally from uh, Naperville, Illinois, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from here. Um, <clears throat> he. Uh, he moved to Chicago, um, the big city, and uh, he worked at Steppenwolf for a while, um, doing marketing and um, and such like there. And now he works at Jellyvision. He uh, he's yeah he's done uh, numerous numerous um, shows around Chicago. Um, currently, he's in uh, Best Church of God, um, and also he recently did a sketch show at uh, Sketchfest. Um, guy named sean cusick Hmm. Um, what was the group called um it was pine box derby okay that was the name of the show that was the name of the show yeah what was the group called just erlachus and cusick okay very inventive all right um it was a great show um and did you see it 
Yes, I did. So you didn't have pneumonia that night. No, I interesting, got it. interesting. Okay. Well, I got it. I got it. I pretty much got pneumonia the next. No, two days later, okay. I got pneumonia. Yeah, I think it was because of the show. Don't don't blame your alleged pneumonia on my show. It was. I think there were a lot of sick people in the audience. <laughs> I'm just saying. I heard a lot of coughing and wheezing and sniffles. There were a lot uh, of sniffles around. I am area. in no way responsible for that. Okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, he is married to a good friend of mine, also Beth Wolf. Recently got married uh, back in the fall, so ah. he's a newlywed. I see. Sorry, ladies. He's off the market. All right. Okay, that was pretty good. That's the basic facts that I I had gleaned. Gleaned? Gleaned. gleaned I glean. I think. Gleaned. Yeah. yeah. Those are the basic facts I had gleaned from your Facebook profiles. Well, that's not creepy at all, then. No. 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 <laughs> Around the money. So anybody else who wants to know that, you know where to look. I mean, if you didn't... If you didn't... Just now. Yeah, I didn't hear... Just hear what happened. Just now. If you're coming in late. Yeah. Yes. So, um, okay, I have a couple of follow-up questions about Dave. Sure. The uh, And I guess either one of you could answer this now. Okay. I'm so all over this. Steppenwolf is more of a traditional... Theater. I don't. I. I feel like there's been. Whenever I'm interviewing people who do improv or sketch, and then we talk about non-improv or sketch theater, I don't know what to call it. Like sometimes I want to say straight theater. Yeah, but that sounds like I'm implying other weird things. It's, or it's weird because even within just the theatrical community, you've got musical theater, and then people don't sure. seem to know what to call just theater in Dramatic. general. Drama, yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. I, just theater? Sure. Let's go with that. I mean, that's what I try to say, but I've, I found myself as well in trying to explain certain companies or certain plays saying, oh, it's, it's straight theater. So you, bo- you both came from a background before you started doing sketch improv where you're doing more traditional theater. Is that true or accurate? Yes. Yes. Most Mostly, I would say like straight i guess straight shows um like non-musical but i have done musicals in the past and stuff but that's not my Mm -hmm. primary area and then how did you then figure out what i really want to do is improv or did you figure that out i don't know if i've even figured that out are you Uh, what's going on with you guys (laughs) yeah i i kind of got into uh improv um i did a little bit in college and um, I kind of wanted to get away from like straight shows for a while. I I worked uh, right after I got out of school. I worked in Cincinnati for a year at the uh, Chicago Shakespeare Fest there. I mean the yeah. Cincinnati Shakespeare Fest there. I you know I just moved here from Cincinnati. Yeah, and my apartment was right across the street from the Shakespeare on Racine comp- on Race Race. Yeah. That's what it was. Race. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I worked I worked there you for Jeff, a year. Uh, Jeff Grow. Jeff Grow. This yeah. was 2003. Okay. So, it's a while back. It might have been before. I didn't live there then. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, I, I mean, I lived in Cincinnati, but not, not, not across, across the, the street. Theater, so yeah. I wasn't as in tune with what was happening there. No. So, you... Uh, so, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I lived there for a year, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the work, but I, I kind of wanted a... I got burnt out on scripted shows a little bit, and I wanted to do improv. Why? Like, I guess because I wasn't I wasn't feeling very creative. I wasn't feeling as much like an artist, like as as I really wanted to 
to be. Because you were saying someone else's words. Exactly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And during scripture shows, you're doing. And it wasn't enough. Else's. It wasn't enough that to like bring what you could bring to it. It. I, I love plays, and I and I you know I will go back to scripted shows, but yeah, yeah. At the time, it wasn't enough for me, and I wanted I wanted to change a pace, and I wanted to feel more like an artist, more more creative, have a bigger hand in what I'm performing. So. Mm-hmm. So doing it, doing improv and creating it as you go, that's pretty much yeah, and it's, as far as you can take that exactly. And it's and it's great too because it's you know if it's it's such a rush you know, um, it's kind of like you're jumping on stage without a script. It's just you up there, and you, you know you've got to make something come alive. You've got to you've got to have the scene on the spot with you know these other people on stage, and it's. It's such an adrenaline rush. It's, I don't know. It's very immediate yeah. in a way that great theater, whether it's improvised or, or scripted, it has that feeling of immediacy. Like you're really there and you're really present and you're connecting with the other people on stage and you're connecting with the audience. And sometimes that can break down in a way that is less exciting. Like if you're doing a bunch of theater and you're like, man, I'm just not feeling it, then it can be very attractive to go to improv and go like, you know what, today I just want to play this type of character or I want to do this or I just want to be, have a connection with the other people on stage. And that can be a lot more visceral and exciting than doing the 12th performance of a play that you know really isn't that great, but you're doing it because you want to do a show or you like some of the people you're working with. I mean, the magic isn't always there and it's kind of, a little more exciting to try to manufacture that or experience that magic on the fly. Well, that brings up an interesting question that I had about the show, the mm-hmm. performance that I saw. Um, but I want to ask it yet. Okay. Cause I want to <laughs> suspense save it, save it for the end. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say it like, we'll just, I know it's, there'll be like a callback. Great. Right. Uh, I might bring it up three times. I don't know. I can follow, like whatever rules. It's the magic number. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. Um, so before I get to that, because um, I want to, I want to do this approach this somewhat chronologically. Okay. Because that's how I, how my brain works sometimes, or it's how I want to see things sure. and understand them. Um, so, do you did you feel like uh, did you have a similar experience to Zach as no. far as like your progression of not exactly. For me, they, theater and improv are always a little more intertwined. When I started doing acting, I was in junior high, high school, and the way that a lot of the teachers I was working with and directors, they used improv as a tool to help kind of figure out what you were doing on stage. And so for me, those things were always kind of there, and it was more of a, a scale where you can have more improv or less improv, and you can have more scripted and less scripted, but they, they weren't totally separate for me. Um, and so all through college and, and post-college here in Chicago, I've always kind of gone back and forth between scripted shows and, uh, and improv. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, just certain ones feel more exciting than others. Like some days you're like, man, I want to come up with a really good show and I want to know it's going to be a good show five nights a week for six weeks. And that's a scripted show. And sometimes you're like, you know what? I want to throw caution in the wind and I want to have my hand in creating what it is I'm performing, and I want it to be wildly different every night. And that's kind of the improv side of the scale. Is there? Do either one of you ever have the feeling of 
like if you've been doing improv that a scripted thing is attractive because oh god i don't have to make something up tonight oh totally i i, <laughs> I can i can see that you know side of the coin also mm-hmm. you know i i guess it's it's nice to have a variety of you know of options to go to mm-hmm. um you know like like i said all i also do uh uh sketch as well I mean, of course, like we were writing the sketches, but, you know, I don't have to worry about coming up with something new. I've got performance. Yeah. yeah. I've got this something I've worked on and it's built up and it's set and I know what it is. So I've got that kind of um, comfort in in that knowing what it is and knowing what that performance is going to be like, which is good. And it's still fun because it's, you know, performing. So then what kind of improv training did you do? When you get to Chicago, mm-hmm. and I know you were close, but you live in the city now, right? Yes. And you didn't for a while. No. So once you're here, and then you moved here specifically to do theater, so you get right. here, and then you decide, I'm going to start taking classes? hmm <clears throat> Yeah. Uh, I started, uh, I took classes at I.O. and uh, Second City at the same time, because I heard they were different, and they are different. And I had the free time. So I figured, great, I'm going to do both of these at the same time and see what I can pull from one to the other. Um, and, and that's how I kind of went about that. I've, I've taken a couple classes at the Annoyance since, and you know, there are a few things here and there. But that, that was really kind of where it started for me in Chicago was I.O. and Second City. What are the differences? Um, I.O. Is, is way more focused, focused on uh, long-form improvisation. So they're saying, great, we're going to take a suggestion, and you and a group of people are going to build this show together, whether that's 15 minutes or 30 minutes and it's going to be longer and interconnected and there's going to be weight to the show more than just any one scene because the show is made up of a bunch of different scenes and they're all going to tie together in some way. And second city was more teaching improvisation for the art of, we're going to teach you to improvise one scene well with the idea that then you can use improvisation to write a review, to write a sketch show. So you can improvise the scene. You can go, that was great. I'm glad we did that. This worked, this didn't. Let's re-improvise it and try that again and see if we can get closer to that idea that was working. And so IO is more the idea that improv is a finished product where Second City, at least originally, was more improv as a tool for writing. And now IO and Second City, everybody's mixed together. Those walls are kind of broken down. But in terms of what they teach, in terms of a, a structured class, those are kind of the major differences. Do you think that they would self-describe the way you just described them? I don't know. I don't. I don't really know ab- about that. I. I think it's. I feel like it's something that um, everyone just kind of picks up. Like it. It becomes common knowledge among improvisers and, and sketch and comedians in the city. I. I. I don't know if I would say that. I don't know. What do you when think? you watch groups, improv or sketch, do you get a sense sometimes when you're watching like, oh, that person is an IO person and that person's a second city person? Not that often. I More often than not, what I can tell is that guy has an acting background. And that guy doesn't. Because that, that's the interesting thing where I feel like we're very fortunate to have a theater background and an, and an improv background. There are a lot of actors who only have one or the other they've only done improv or they've only done scripted shows and often especially when somebody's earlier in their improv career some folks you can be like that guy's funny but he doesn't quite have stage presence yet and i feel like that's something you learn pretty early 
working on stage and scripted material. And also you can see a scripted show and you can see when something goes wrong on stage, somebody misses an entrance or a light cue screws up. You can tell the people who have some improv training because they'll just kind of roll with it and they'll use it in the moment where people who only have acting training, a lot of folks will kind of freeze up at like a deer in the headlights. When, okay, so some, Sketchfest, which just happened mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. week or two ago, um, and there's tons of groups, and you get to see lots of groups, and uh, mostly sketch. There's sometimes groups do some improv or in their show, but, but the primarily it's a sketch mm-hmm. festival. That's yep. the name. Yes. Um, and I've gone a number of years, and this year, one of the things that I particularly noticed is that there are certain people, like especially in a large group, mm-hmm. there'd be like one or two people here, like. I really like them. Mm-hmm. Sure. And like every little thing that person is doing is funny. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering when you're, when you take the classes, um, you're seeing people develop, you're seeing people who sometimes have no training, then, you know, you're seeing them go along. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, do the people that there's people that just have like charisma or like, that stage present is that something that you can learn? Do you think? Like, did you see people sometimes who um, didn't you didn't think were particularly funny, and then they got funnier to you through their training? Or did you see people who you knew right away they were good, but they're not quite there yet? You know? Do you ask? Do you understand what I'm asking? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I because I know when I I went to art school, and I remember being in in first year drawing, and everybody had different training from their high school mm-hmm. some people's had better high school art classes than others and but by the fourth year i went to a school where we had to take drawing every year and by the fourth year some of the best drawers weren't necessarily the best starting out at all mm-hmm. and so i i'm i'm trying to think of like this improv sketch in this similar way well um I, I would say that uh, like like starting out, you know, taking improv classes and seeing other performers, a lot of times you know, you know, f- f- kind of from the get go who's good, and you can kind of f- foresee their their rise and how they're going to ride it out. Um, because um, you know, if, if they come in with charisma and stage presence, and you know, they just have good comedic timing, you know, they're going to progress well, and. Um, but I mean, it, it, and on the same token, I have I've seen people come in, and um, you know, do really well, and then just don't go anywhere with it for whatever reason. It you know, um, they fall off the map or or something. Um, Their interests change, or maybe they decide yeah. it's a different, it takes a different place in their life than they thought it was going to. Right, exactly. Yeah, I I guess the way I look at it is it's kind of like a bell curve, where you've got anybody in terms of natural ability can be kind of anywhere on the bell curve. But I think the people who work at it and find a group of people they like working with or or find a method of working where they're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to put in my reps and I'm going to try to get better and I'm going to take it seriously, but still have fun with it. Those people who clock that time, sure, if you're a little below average on the bell curve and you work way harder than the people who are a little far above average, you can kick the living crap out of those guys in a couple of years. And kind of like what you were saying, how somebody who 
was the best drawer after four years didn't necessarily start off that way. I think you can see the same thing with improvisation. So, so have you seen have you seen somebody who came in and didn't impress you at all, but then you saw them get like really good? I, I've seen people get way, way better. I think there's also people where I'm like, you're at the absolute end of that spectrum one way or the other where like everything you say is just funny and you kind of can't take that away from a person yeah. no matter what happens. But that's like one in a hundred. And there's also people at the way bottom end of it where it's like, you kind of just don't have a funny bone in your body and it's going to take a lot of work before you can kind of get there. But yeah, I've seen people where at first I'm like, I don't get you. You, you get up there and you're doing weird stuff and I'm, I'm just not getting it. All of a sudden they kind of find their voice and I'm like, oh, you're actually really funny and you're doing stuff in a way that I haven't seen it done before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I've definitely seen people get wickedly funny over time. What attracted you to work with each other? Uh, I think, well, I guess um, friendship probably mostly because we, um, you know, we met in classes and we became friends and we were on a team at, at IO for a while. Um, and then from there we just kind of, we branched off and also started doing, you know, our own thing and creating battery mouth because, you know, we, we enjoyed each other, uh, presence, you know, on and off stage and our friendship and camaraderie and, um, we liked the way we each other performed. So it just kind of happened naturally from there. Yeah. I, I feel like we really got lucky where we, we had some common background in terms of we'd both had theater training. We'd, you know, we'd gone through the same training at IO together. Um, so we had kind of common ground in terms of what we were interested in, uh, performance wise, but also like, yeah, we're just, we get along, we're good friends and it's way easier to show up to rehearsals when it's somebody you want to spend time with. Exactly. So, you, someone had told me at the show that you, there used to be a third person that you would do long form improv with. Is that accurate? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was uh, Mark Walkley. Um, he's, he's actually a, a really good friend of, of both of ours. Um, I, I've known him a little bit longer. We went to school together at Ole Miss, and we were roommates there, and we uh, performed together. Um, we were in an improv group there together and uh did a lot of had a lot of stage time also like uh you know straight plays and stuff right yeah so battery mouth originally started out as a three-person group it was me zach and mark and it went that way for what two years something like that something like that yeah and mark recently decided like you know what improv and acting is great but i just don't want to do it anymore and i want to go to business school so he Mm. went off to business school and there was a little while there where we're like, are we going to keep doing this? Are we going to find a third person? Are we just going to let this go? And and we kind of decided just to keep doing the show together and we found a different show than what we were doing before. And so it's, it's definitely changed over time, which has been interesting. Okay. So now I want to talk about it burns. Mm-hmm. My first question about that has to do with uh, something sort of boring and logistical but if if you're doing an improv show, mm-hmm. um, how do you rehearse for that? The, and how do you decide, okay, let's do a show now, and then here's where we're going to do it, and how do you you know book that? And <laughs> I want the dry, dirty facts the, here. The dry, mechanical And the uh, reason facts. why is that um, I feel like that just seems like such a mysterious thing to people. Sure. Um, 
first the idea that you know you tell your friends and family like oh i'm doing improv Mm -hmm. and then you know you're doing classes like even that there to a lot of people would be like i would never do that right they don't even understand what they have no concept of it yeah yeah, no concept so um yeah so that's why i'm just kind of wondering those mechanical kind of like details well, I I guess starting with rehearsing, like how does that work? I guess to me the best analogy is sort of like a basketball team when they practice, you can't there's they're going to play a game and they can't really practice exactly what the game is going to be, but they can practice fundamentals. They can practice passing and shooting and and guarding and taking free throws. And because those are all the individual components that go into playing a basketball game. And sometimes they'll run just a component of that, or sometimes they'll play full games to kind of get better at being a team together or or just get better playing in general. And rehearsing for improv is a lot of the same way where sometimes you can work on some of those fundamentals like uh, character development or uh, connecting with another actor on stage or building an environment or how to use story. So you can focus on individual aspects or you can just go up and we're going to just improvise our show in rehearsal. And so where you're never going to actually do anything that you've literally done in your rehearsal, building all those fundamental components can go in towards improvising a show in the moment. So when you're working on that part, when you're working on those fundamentals, would you like stop each other and say, look, you know, the thing you did here what's interesting about that, or you could have gone this way with it. Like, well, is it like that? Yeah. But the good thing is we like a basketball team. We have a coach that does that for us. Oh, I see. So yeah. you're working with a director. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's EJ Scott. Is that yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. He's been with us about two years now. Yeah. And he's a super funny dude, super sharp. And oh, yeah. like, has Who been, is he? where'd he come from? How do you he know? He came from LA. Um, he studied at IO West and performed a lot out there and, uh, is originally from New York. So did a little bit of improv, I think, in New York before he moved out to L.A. And he moved to Chicago uh, just to study in Chicago because Chicago is kind of the mecca of improv. And he moved out there and he posted a message on uh, CIN, the Chicago Improv Network, which is sort of like a message board for improvisers in town. And we were between coaches at the time. And he just kind of posted like, hey, here's my deal. This is where I'm from. These are the shows I've done. These are some groups I've coached in L.A., and so we decided to just bring him in just to try him out and see how it felt. And uh, it, it just kind of meshed. He's a nice guy, but he's also like, let's work and do the stuff. Where would you practice at? <laughs> we practice at our apartments. <laughs> it's way cheaper that way. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if you get a space at, a, you know, like a rec center or something like that or a theater, you know, you're going to have to pay for it. So it's just the three of us. Well, two of us, you know, so we'll just rehearse in someone's living room. Save money that way move the uh, table out of the way moving the table out of the way moving the chairs um, check, making sure like you know the roommates or wife isn't home so we don't annoy the crap out of them when we're mm-hmm. rehearsing okay so that's a little insight into the rehearsal mm-hmm. then how's it get from there to alright I think we're ready let's do a show I guess we when we're, I guess, thinking about building a show, you know, we're, we're rehearsing and, and figuring out what we want to accomplish. 
in a, you know a certain a, like a an allotted time slot, like half an hour, which is a typical improv show length. And so, um, you know, we'll we'll go through it together and with and with EJ and kind of figure out our form and and kind of the layout and structure of the show we want to have and what we want to accomplish with that. And once we feel like we're at that point, you know, after you know how long of rehearsal. Then we start talking about, okay, well, let's get a show. Let's book a show and let's get it up and running and, and put it out there. Because usually when we're not doing a, a, a run like It Burns, we're doing little one-off shows at places like the playground or, or we might be opening for other acts where it's just kind of like a one-night thing. We get up, we perform, we kind of talk about it after the fact. And we're like, oh, this, this, and this worked, that didn't. Let's try something new or let's try what we've been working on in rehearsal and, and just kind of get a feel for it. So, with this show, mm-hmm. what were some of those, what did you figure out? when? What was it that you figured out you were trying to do? Well, I guess a lot of it, we, our format right now is, is different from what we were doing when we were a three-person group with Mark. When we were a three-person group with Mark, we had a, kind of an, an opening moment to the show that was sort of a little slam poetry-esque. It was like the three of us just kind of riffing then some scenes, and it was broken up with something like that again, and, and monologues. So there's a lot of individual kind of moving parts to it that I guess were a little more evocative of a herald almost in terms of the idea of a, a game and opening and, and different scenes. And when we started trying to figure out what we wanted to do from here, we were talking about having a theatrical background, and we wanted a show to feel like a show, like you went and you saw something and it was complete and it had an arc. Uh, and so we kind of just started stripping stuff away and playing around with this idea of just one long scene over 30 minutes. Is that how you remember it? That's how no, I remember yeah, it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, and I think we, we felt like we wanted to explore, you know, characters more. And, you know, the mm-hmm. one way to do that is to give them, give, you know, a character or, you know, two characters more time, you know, to be in a scene together, to, to get deeper into their relationship and into to totally flesh that character out, you know, because typically, you know, improv scenes will last three to four minutes or something like that. We're taking, you know, the scene and expanding it to 25 to half an hour um, where you really get to get, you know, nitty like, gritty details and have a full like wider spectrum of scene uh, for these for these characters. Is that something is that a common thing? Like when you're learning improv and they're talking about different like Harold and these different kinds of uh, games and ways to approach it. Is that a common, like one of the common approaches to do like what you just described? I I would say no. I mean, because I feel like a, a lot of the shows that, you know, I see out there are somewhat of montage of scenes, you know, that like, you know, that like the typical scene is three to five minutes. Well, and there was a group that opened for you. You have different groups opening for you during your run. And yeah, right. The one that I saw, I don't remember what they Honor called. Student Breakfast. Honor yeah. Student Breakfast. Yes, they were much more traditional like what I had mm. seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, what's nice about that kind of uh, a montage of scenes type of structure is, let's say you're doing a scene and it's not working you kind of only have to suffer through it for those three minutes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You and the audience are both like, look, we're going to get through this and we're going to move on. And it's harder, I think, to do a longer monoscene show because whatever you start with, you're committing to that for the full 30 minutes. 
So if you start off and you don't like your characters in the first minute, you can't make them go away into you're kind of stuck with it and you have to make that work. So it's cha- it's a lot more challenging than what we were doing. I would say. And I would, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned about that difference of the time and how you're like, okay, bear with us. You're mm-hmm. going to get through this because I feel like people that don't like improv, a lot of times their reason for not liking it is saying that like it, it can be really great sometimes and sometimes it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you're like suffering through it. So, um, with that being the stakes, why do you choose? Why are you, why are you, do you have that interest in doing the long form? You're in gluttons for punishment. <laughs> um, I, that, that's a, a good what's, question. I mean, what's the biggest thing? Like what's obviously you spoke earlier about doing improv in the, like, kind of adrenaline rush of it. Mm-hmm. And um, do you feel it on a deeper level when you do the, the longer? Is it is it like risk, is the extra riskiness of it? Like, do you have a visceral I, response I, to I that? I think the, ri- the, the risk is higher, uh, in my opinion, because, you know, you don't have that that safety, that, that pull string of, okay, you know, at a certain point, once we get a laugh, now I can edit, we can get out of the scene. You know, so... The I think I would say the stakes are even higher to be more engaged in the scene and to be more immediate and more focused on what's going on because you can't just run across stage you know sweep you know sweep the scene and and start all over mm-hmm. you have to kind of like stick through it and stick through the bumpy parts and and um and I don't know it, it just I think it just makes it more risky and for yeah. for me it's also a little more real to do a 30 minute scene where I'm sticking with two characters and we're seeing it in real time. I mean, when that works, there is, there is magic there. It is, there's something palpable that happens in that room that is hard to come across seeing a scripted show, seeing an improvised show. I mean, there, there is something to me is very pure and magical. Like I, I don't have religion. I don't have, you know, God, but I have that moment on stage where that is what makes me feel connected to other people, and that's what really excites me. And and there's something to that that I think is worth pursuing, even if it is more challenging. And you feel it more with the long form. I do. Um, I I'm also an ensemble member at Comedy Sports, which is you know short little two to five minute game scenes, and nothing is interconnected, and it's all you know one thing is done and it's over, and you move on. And that's great, and it's a lot of fun. But my best nights at Battery Mouth are way higher highs than my best nights at Comedy Sports. Not to knock that show at all. It's just, it's just different. It's it's the difference between, I don't know, a, a good cheeseburger and a good steak. I mean, the steak when it's performed, you know, prepared very well, that is a meal that's like, damn it, that's the way to end a week. Like that, there's something to that where a fast food cheeseburger can be good and rewarding, but it's it's smaller in its scale. Yeah, it, it might also harken back, you know, because we do have, we each have a strong theater background. It might harken back to our days of, you know, doing, you know, script, straight plays and scripted mm-hmm. shows. And and because, you know, th- those shows, you know, even though you do the same show every night, you know, if it's good, if it's on, it can be incredibly rewarding night after night. Um, and and may- maybe that might be kind of what we were wanting to combine a little bit mm-hmm. um, when you with do, this show. When you do short form, 
are there times where you, where somebody does a sweep or something and then you're like, man, I really, there was, I was so close. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like going like towards. Yeah. I had like the, a little gold mine in my pocket. I was just like ready to, you know, like when, you when had you, so much. When you're doing the short form and there are those like abrupt changes, is there an internal language or system behind that? Of about like how people edit of like people knowing like okay here's what we do it or like signaling or is it just kind of like is it just something that people feel it's a feeling do? yeah i would say it's totally a feeling um and it's it you just kind of know when it needs to be edited you know like it it could be a, a big laugh line or or whatnot or, or a certain time or some sometimes it's just uh, you know, it, it's that safety cord that just, you know, needs to get pulled, you know, maybe nothing's happening with the scene. It's just time for the scene to end, you know, and some of the, I would say some of the best improvisers are the ones who know when that needs to happen, like who know like what a scene looks like and when it needs to be edited. Cause, uh, you can take one scene and editing it at a minute 30 can leave you with a hilarious scene and letting it go towards three minutes can leave you with a scene that isn't that great or maybe leaving it till seven minutes it's become really funny again like there there's a little bit it's kind of like music like if you were to cut a Katy perry song in the middle of the chorus you'd be like what the hell just happened there but if you let it play out even if it is something junky and poppy or if it is something like arcade fire like if you edit it right you know you people Vegetarians who hate Katy Perry are going to have a real hard time understanding <laughs> metaphors. Yeah, they're like, I don't. What is this guy just, talking about? I, just, I don't see how steak is better than a hamburger. They're both, I, you know, they're both murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I man, I hope we're not sounding too pretentious here because we're talking about like the nitty gritty of how. Well, this stuff I works. mean, I I'm inviting you to sound pretentious, <laughs> so it's a little. You're in a safe. You're in a safe place. This is a safe, safe place. place. Anybody who's going to listen to this can't get upset about the content <laughs> yeah if, if they've listened this far they want yeah. to know what we're talking about right I would <laughs> or they're a glutton for punishment yeah as well that's true okay so um i have some specific questions about seeing your your performance mm-hmm. um you came out and you asked for a a line from a song or a poem and then you didn't get a suggestion. <laughs> no, we did. The audience froze. Yeah. Yeah. So then you revised and said, mm-hmm. or just any word. Mm-hmm. And somebody said sorrow. Mm-hmm. And then we're into it. I would like you to describe to me what happened in your brain after you hear the word sorrow. There, for me... Boy, we've never really talked about this. No, we haven't. This, this, could be, this is going to be interesting. I wonder if we approach this differently. Though, because sure there's like five seconds, and then you're talk. One of you's talking. Mm-hmm. I think you started I it. I think Dave, I did. I believe. Yeah. So what? How? First, how do you decide that? <laughs> how does that get communicated? And and how do you figure out what those first words out of your mouth are going to be? So, in terms of who's going to speak first, that's something that just you feel out. Somebody kind of just grabs it, and there's there's no signaling, there's no articulation of that. It just kind of happens. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what you're going to say and what you take on, for me, and this is where I'm really interested to see what this is for Zach. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. 
because I think <laughs> I think I started to lead you down a more interesting path, and then I messed it up. Okay. Don't focus on what the first thing you're going to say is. Okay. What's the first thing you think after you hear the word? The first thing I think is whatever the suggestion is, it keys into some first impression in my brain, and I roll with that. Whatever it is. You don't ever go to two. It's whatever's one. Whatever, especially just to start off, I will go back to two and three and four throughout the course of a scene because I always try to bring stuff back to that suggestion, that initial kernel in some way. But the first thing, whatever I think of first, is that's what I'm going to lock into. So when I heard sorrow, the first thing that popped into my head was parting is such sweet sorrow. So I decided, great, this is going to be a scene about something ending and two people going apart. Um, and so then I, I think the first thing I then... So I, that brought me to kind of like a little bit of a feeling of, of sadness or ending or transition. And I tried to kind of physically embody that in some way. And then my first line was something along the lines of this is, this is ending that this, you know, my time in, in this job is over. Um, I, I, I would say my, my answer is going to be a lot shorter than Dave's. Um, my, uh, I just did it. I just do it. <laughs> I don't think about it that much. Yeah. Come on. Just jump in. It's acting dude. Um, no, I, I mean, I, to, to some degree, uh, I, 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 I def, I'm definitely in the same boat. Um, I, I just kind of like, well, for example, the, the word was sorrow. Um, and I just immediately let the word kind of like absorb into my body a little bit, if that makes sense. And kind of a, like, that like Dave's really pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not done yet. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I meditate it, meditate on it for a nanosecond. What a jerk. Um, but it feels like 10 <laughs> it feels years. Like, it feels like 10 years, but I've just got it down to a science, man. Um, uh, but no, I, I kind of, it, I, I kind of let the word just kind of in, inform what I'm doing up top, my physicality, how, what I'm thinking um, about at the top of the scene um, and and how I'm going to a- approach uh, Dave, the, the, the other character, and in what in, in what mannerisms and, and what feeling I convey to him, you know, regardless of whatever it is I'm going to say. Can I could say anything. You're saying even physically you're thinking about, like, how you're responding or presenting yourself to the other person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, whatever I'm, you know, whatever action I'm doing, I think I started kind of like shifting my weight and like playing with my fingers and like raising my shoulders, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a very organic thing just that it just started happening inside of me. And and, then, I mean, of course I'm just speaking like for this specific um, word, you Mm -hmm. know, if it's, you know, if it's something else like a, you know, cause it's, you know, stars an emotion, but if it's something else, um, it could, it could start a different way, you know, like if it's an inanimate object or something like that, you know, it could have a, a different spark, a different reaction in me. Or even the same word on a different day. Like I guarantee if we were to do that, our show tonight and we were to get the word sorrow, there would be a completely different scene and show that would come out of that just because you're going to interpret it in a slightly different way in that moment based off of what your day was or what your week was or just how you're feeling. Your attitude, your mood, yeah. And, and that's the other half of it. So there's this initial reaction to the word, and then there's a really quick, you know, one-two punch, and, and the two is what 
Zach is doing and what I see he's kind of doing in that moment, which informs where we are. So I can have an idea, which is usually more generic, a feeling or an emotion or an event kind of feeling like, I think I know where I am in time and space, but then seeing what Zach's doing helps influence and inform that a lot. So is that why, why did you ask for um, a line before just the word? Is it because that gives you to that place even quicker? Um, it's more to to open it up a little bit, so like, that people aren't yelling out the same kind of like dildo. Sure, because yeah, there aren't too many lines of poem that have dildo, dildo, <laughs> dildo, sixty nine or something over and over again. Yeah. Although there, that might be a market for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Um, dildo, but, dildo, dildo, sixty nine, and other plays by Maya Angelou. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it also just gets people in a slightly different headspace. Yeah. I mean, if you're saying you want a line from a, a song or, or a book or a movie that, that kind of puts you already in the place of something larger than just one word that you think is funny, like cheese or dildo or whatever that is. Where did, so where did that idea come from of doing it that way? Um, in, in short form, you can take, I, you, you, instead of just asking for one word all the time, because you're usually getting a lot of suggestions in a short-form show, um, you come up with different ways to ask for suggestions, because otherwise the audience gets in a rut. So that's kind of... A lot of improvisers have that kind of context for that. But I think out of this particular show, I think it was a suggestion from our coach, actually. I think that was something EJ brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the idea is, you know, like say it, it is, you know, a line from your favorite song. That's something that someone can be immediately, it would be a meaningful line. Right. It's if it's someone's favorite, line. there's already probably some richness to it. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you would think that someone, you know, every, everyone has favorite songs. I mean, I think, Oh, you know, a lot of people like music. Um, but, uh, and you think it would be easy to kind of, for someone to just, you know, yell one out rather than if you give them something generic, like a suggestion of anything at all, then you think that they would kind of like during the headlights, but why do you think nobody said anything? Boy, I, I don't <laughs> That's know. That's a great question. We were wondering the same thing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, part of it could be it's their shows on Friday night. It's after people are coming out from work. Maybe they just weren't in that headspace yet. I, I mean, well, when you switch it to a word, you got one right away. Right. You know, I, I mean, I know I was, I, when <laughs> I started trying to like, my mind started racing of like, Oh, it's a line. And I just, I totally blanked. I couldn't even think of something. Yeah. And sometimes you do have universal audience wide amnesia for something where you're asking for some sort of thing and just collectively, nobody can think of a line from a song or nobody can think of a president or nobody can think of like, those moments happen occasionally. They're rare, but they exist. And and you were there for one of them, Kendall. What do you think would have happened if you had just waited until somebody said something? I think at a certain point, the audience disengages and goes, this is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think you might eventually get something. But then it's, I think that contract of, we're going to have a fun time here, I think that starts to break down a little bit. I don't know. I mean, because we, we held for a couple seconds there. Yeah. And you get the feeling where it's like, in in improv, if the other person you're up on stage with is having a problem, you help them out. You throw them a lifeline. And to me, in that moment, the audience needed us to throw them a lifeline. <laughs> yeah. So you throw them a lifeline. I, I don't right. think there's... 
I'm not going to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm getting a line from a song, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Um, right. If it's not working, then then that's fine. Then we'll laugh it off and move on. So the, once you get that suggestion and then you're both doing your initial reactions to it, you're really like, it's the most, um, like there's a, you're really narrowing things down in a way. I mean, there's still, you have infinite possibilities, but mm-hmm. it's the biggest kind of like surprise in a way. I know that like a lot of times when you see short form improv, people get a, make a big joke or get a big laugh out of just how they reacted to that word. Mm-hmm. So like they get a word, um, like if they did get the word dildo, the way they would bring dildo into it would be very different than you might expect. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I've noticed a lot of times that happens is that you have two people that are in a scene together and the first person is like, okay, I'm this character and I'm doing this thing. And then the reveal of who the other character is sometimes determined by either party is something that gets a laugh out of people. Mm-hmm. So that like, the first person is talking as, and it seems like, oh, they're obviously talking to their wife, but then the other person decides, I'm going to make it that they're talking to their son. Sure. You know, and then they sure. get a big laugh because it's like, they're like, I don't know, dad, you know? Yeah, the unexpected <laughs> twist. Yeah. 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 And then there was sort of a thing like that that happened with you in a, not really, but in that you sort of determined that Zach was going to be playing a female. That's how I remember it. it That's being at least. not how I remember it. Tell me how it happened for you, because it seemed to me like you called Zach by... I called Zach Becky. Becky. And when you did that, I felt mm-hmm. like that was our first clue that, oh, he's playing a girl. Uh, that might have been the audience's first clue. But Zach and I, we've done this so much over the, the years. I mean, we kind of have a shorthand. We're we're pretty quick now at reading what the other person is intending. So I would, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Zach. I think you initiated that you were a girl, and I just picked up on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're definitely right. Um, yeah, I, I in when I was at, you know at the top when I was forming a character, I definitely was female from, from body the just body language. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, so, I believe that's what you picked up on. Yeah. And so I would just read that and I saw that. I'm yeah. like, mm-hmm. and I, I can understand that, sure. but I'm just saying it wasn't said, mm-hmm. right? It was said by Dave. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what I was getting at. Like, how did you decide? Okay. Zach is a girl. I, I guess <laughs> to me, it wasn't a decision to me. It's just, it was, I it was what you. he had, yeah, it's what Zach had initiated. Zach had initiated. To me, it was clear that he was he was playing a female character. And so that was just, okay, the character now just needs to be named. Because mm-hmm. um, with, with what we do, I think if we were trying to pull, you know, quick changes on each other all the time, like, aha, you think you're doing this, but I'm going to make it so you're doing something wildly different. I don't think the show would work in a 30 minute format because of the long format. Yeah. It's like you almost have to be cooperating more. Exactly. Yeah. You have to trust each other and go, okay, whatever you're bringing to the table, 
there's a reason for it and there's weight behind it to you emotionally or intellectually. And I'm going to honor that. And that's, what's going to get us to a good show. So I know the saying with improv is the yes. And, Mm -hmm. and well, why don't one of you explain basically the theory behind that? A yes. Anding, um, is the idea of when, when someone's, when there's a conversation going on on stage, um, and you know, like, uh, improviser A is saying something and then improviser B um, gives to the scene and gives to improviser A this is good y'all like improviser A and B yeah this is really good I'm gonna put it on the chalkboard Um, but uh, an improviser B gives to the scene becomes a part of that scene by by, and a way of doing that is by yes anding which is like yes I agree with what you're saying and I'm going to give by saying this that goes along with what you just said. So I'm not just saying like, okay, okay. Cause you know, if, if you're not really responding and giving anything, the scene isn't progressing. There's no movement forward. So does that mean you can't disagree? You can't say, can you know, and well, this is where I think two characters can disagree. I think the actors on stage have to, have to agree. Mm-hmm. Like, the two characters can disagree about, you know, how they feel about having a dog in the house, but the two actors need to agree, we are two people, and there is a dog in the house, and we're going to figure out, between these two characters, what we're going to do with this dog. So if you, as improv person A, (laughs) were to say, where's the dog? I haven't seen the dog in a while. Would improv person B be honoring the yes and if they said, what are you talking about? We don't have a dog. And Ooh, it, no, 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 no. It, it'd be like shutting the improviser A down. So you can't do that. You, you can do it, but it's a shitty thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> to, I mean, all partner. things are possible and there will be other improvisers who will say, of course you can do that. And other actors who will say, no, in no universe should you ever do that. The, mm-hmm. the problem with that kind of, that's called a denial and what that means is, okay, now we're not building a scene. The two of us now have to have a conversation about what the given circumstances are of what we're doing. Because now the the possible chances, the options are what? That the other character is crazy, in mm-hmm. which case it becomes really hard to build anything together. Or that they're forgetful, or that you know somebody's lying at such a wide degree that you're just not gonna be able to figure anything out. It makes it very difficult to build a scene together. When you're doing your improv practices, do you ever go down those roads of like, you know, they always tell us to do this, but let's try this. Sure. And there are times when you make those moves and you're not even intentionally breaking rules, but you just break rules. And I I think for me, a lot of it is like there, there are circumstances in which that would work. They are few and far between, and that's why somebody says it's a rule and you should just never, ever do it. I think it's, well, most of the time, if you do that, you're going to have a really difficult time making your show work or your scene work. And so you take that into account, and there, there are definitely times where it's like, okay, I am going to do the other thing because in the moment I'm inspired and I trust Zach to figure it out, and, and I'm going to do the thing that you're told not to do most of the time. Rather than a hard, fast rule, it's just kind of a really good guideline, you know? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, so can you summarize what 
the performance that I saw, what the scene kind of ended up being about? Oh, sure. Um, so the scene was about two people in a law firm, uh, Becky and Daryl. Yeah, that's right. And the law firm was shutting down. They'd worked together for 10 years. Becky had been Daryl's assistant or secretary. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were the last people left in the office. So it was kind of about this the, the closing of this job and them talking about their futures. And it ended up being a discussion about who the two of them were to each other. And there was a little flirtation and there was a little discussion of what their other jobs were going to be and who they were to each other while they had worked together and who they were going to be to each other now that that phase of their lives was over. And so it's kind of exploring that relationship between those two people. When you describe it, Mm -hmm. it sounds very dramatic and not comedic. Mm -hmm. Now, having seen it, Mm -hmm. there are definitely funny parts Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's definitely laughter throughout the entire half hour. Yeah. But it definitely was more of a dramatic kind of um, improvisation than I had been used to seeing. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit about what your what your expectations as far as making it funny are? I guess we definitely want the show to be funny. We don't want it to be funny at the expense of the show making sense or the show having an arc or the show feeling like a story. So where you might see some performances from some groups where it's dick joke, dick joke, dick joke, edit, whatever. We don't care. The characters. There were very few dick jokes. Any dick jokes (laughs) were more innuendo. Yes. They were a little subtle. Uh, This is more about finding what's funny between two people um, and in the real world. And so, yes, we want the show to be funny, but yes, we want the show to also be about two people who could be real, who you could kind of meet on the street and you would believe in these two people. And and we want, and we want an interesting story mm-hmm. out of it, you know, and, and you can't, and I, I feel like you can get that more with a, you know, a dramatic type piece rather than just comedy. Like, you know, I want, I want people leaving the theater to go like, man, that was a really, you know, like to, to come away with, you know, laughter and laughing and, um, and having a good time, but also to be thinking about like what, what happened in the show and like the relationship between the two people and, um, and yeah. Yeah. And, and and to be clear, I think if we did a show and it wasn't funny, I'd be like, well, crap, we screwed something up there. Exactly. Cause that's, that's not our intention. Our intention is to do a funny show. What are your criteria of like whether or not you had a good performance or not? At the end, uh, if we felt a connection between the characters, if it made sense, if it was interesting, if it was funny, um, how do you decide if it was funny? If we felt like it was funny, I mean the 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 stupid, not stupid. The the simple answer is well, was the audience laughing? Yeah. Um, I mean that's a, a good example, but I mean there's also like a, I mean it's a classic barometer. Yeah, for yeah. It's humor not, level. It's kind of the go-to, I think. <laughs> But there's there's times where you could be in front of an audience and go, I thought that was a good show, and for whatever reason, it just didn't 
connect or, or people weren't as vocal. I mean, that's the, the rare circumstance. I mean, odds are if the audience isn't laughing, you're doing something quote unquote wrong. If your idea is to make the audience laugh. Um, does that answer that do you question? Ever, do you ever say, yeah. Do you ever say a line and think, Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> why? Every why didn't, night. Why didn't, and, and why didn't they laugh? Or, you, you know what I mean? More often than not, I, it's the other thing. It's like, why the hell did that get a laugh? Yeah. Like it's because it, you know, right. you're just on the stage and you're just saying stuff, you know, it's not prepared at all. And it comes out and you surprise yourself sometimes. Yeah. Not to say that there are, I mean, most of the times when we say a line and it gets a laugh, you know, it's going to get a laugh as you're saying it. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're aware of what you're doing, you know, like, oh, this is a callback or it's a rule of three or I'm giving a slightly unexpected answer, but one that's realistic and believable. Like you get it when you're doing the longer form do you have to kind of reel in some of those things too, as far as like how far you're going to push something of like how ridiculous your response to something might be because then you're setting up a world that. Yeah. Like I mean, it, you're a little be living bit in or, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pull out a gun and shoot Zach in the head in the first five minutes, even if it's funny. Cause then it's 25 minutes of me staring at a corpse on the floor so i mean there's a little bit of that reined in but i mean yeah and then i have to like you know resurrect myself and come back as a ghost and see, do weird i feel stuff. like every time you say something you're not supposed to do i think i wonder what would happen to watch that <laughs> yeah and and like, we like what if you denied everything the other person said like what would that devolve into that would be my curiosity, but yeah. it would probably be a terrible experiment. <laughs> yeah, we, we've in the past we've talked about like getting drunk and having an improv rehearsal or something like that, mm-hmm. and it seems like a fun idea, but put in practice, I, I don't think it would. Uh, that drunk so history well. is pretty funny. Drunk history, drunk history. Yes. But the reason it's funny is because of the literal performance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of editing of the, going on there. Yeah, you can pick and choose. True. That it's the reality TV show of comedy. You're yeah. you're filming a lot for those thirty seconds of brilliance, and then yeah, the literal presentation of it. Yeah. Zach, have you seen those videos? Do you know? I have no idea what you're talking about. Basically, they get a comedian drunk. It's a funnier die thing, I believe. They now a, it is. Yeah, they it get may a, have always been, but it's on, it's actually on the funnier die HBO show now. Sometimes. On HBO. Oh wow. Yeah. Basically, they get a comedian drunk, ask him about some historical person or event. And you just make it up. So it'll be yeah. someone like it. And it tends to be people that they kind of know. Like you can tell like, oh, they know about, you yeah. know, um, Alexander Hamilton's the, like the first one that was very popular. And so they get this comedian drunk and then they are telling <laughs> the story of this historical figure. But they're drunk. And then they get other actors to recreate literally what the drunk person is saying and so inevitably they end up doing like really ridiculous things or contradictory things in the recreation because and and also the person telling the story will be like so then so-and-so said this and they'll be speaking the dialogue and then in the recreation the person is just sort of like mouthing what the drunk person is so it's, it's very you should check them out they're uh, hilarious can we watch them now laptop <laughs> Um, I don't, I'm not saying that you should go up there and be drunk. We should get loaded before every show. Um, 
No, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> so um, when you are when you are performing and somebody takes you down a road that you I mean, are there are there times where you're like, why is he doing that? I don't want to do that. That's not or why can't he tell what I want him to do here? Like, are there times where you react? Your instinct is to or like you're leading them, I guess. I guess you're approaching it from a perspective where you're trying to live in a character and you're trying to then react to the other character. So no matter what they do, you can respond to it by thinking, well, how am I responding to that as my character? Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So does that, is that prevent you from having that problem? I guess what I'm getting at is how much of what you're doing is just living in a character and responding to the other person but then also you're thinking about you know calling you said when said sorrow that you're doing the a thing but that you're thinking about bcd in your head because that might come up later like how much of when you're up there are you thinking about like where this might go five minutes from now or something that i might want to happen later you know very little i i find trying to plan while you're up there rarely works. And most of the time just gets you into trouble because a scene is going on and you're no longer a part of that scene. You're trying to make that scene bend to get to the scene you're writing in your head that nobody else is seeing other than you in your head. Um, so that, that really works. I mean, when everything is running perfectly and it's as clean as the driven snow, you're just reacting as your character in the moment and it just kind of all takes care of itself. Often, though, that's 80 to 90% of the show. And then there's the 10 part of, 10% part of you that, as, that is a little less artist and a little more craftsman going, you know what, this past scene, the past couple minutes, we've both been sitting down. We need to do a change uh, for the stage picture. One of us should get up. I'm going to get up to initiate that change. So that change, there's a little bit in the back of my head that's making that happen. Um, but I'm going to then make that happen in the moment through my character. So my character will then have a reason to get up um, and and kind of move that around. Or it might be, boy, we've been talking about this other thing that isn't about the two of us for a while. I need to bring this back to the two of us. How can I do that? Oh, I can do that through my character through this. But it's all making that conscious decision, like in in that moment, in that present time. You know, it's mm-hmm. you can't it's you can't do that thinking about oh, I'm going to do that. You know couple minutes from now or it's what can i do right now exactly this moment do you ever lose track of what's happening oh sure yeah i mean it's easy to forget a character name or it's easy to go like ah crap what was what was that thing he said earlier uh that was five minutes ago and now i can't remember the specific word or whatever and you and maybe you want to bring it up or it needs to be called back or or something like that but you just can't remember I mean, yeah. it happens. Yeah. N- nobody is perfect. Yeah. Uh, but over time and, and with rehearsal and getting to work with somebody over, over you know, five, six years like we have, you you get better at that and it becomes more natural. Yeah. And if you stop drinking before the shows, you get better at that too. <laughs> How do you decide or do you worry about it being boring? Oh, sure. Um, I I mean, we don't want it to be boring. We want it to be interesting. And I think that's where... If it's interesting for us on stage, or if it's interesting for the characters, then nine times out of ten, it's interesting for the audience. Be- so, what do you do if you're if you're starting to feel like 
it's if not I'm, interesting to you. So if I'm starting to get bored, then I will try to re-engage with Zach in some way. So it's like, okay, what, what would make this more interesting and more exciting? Why is this the day that we're watching these two characters? So what is the, the big emotional declaration? What is the, what secret are you revealing? Like this doesn't need to be the, you know, most days where you just go to the photocopier and you photocopy something and you go back to your desk. This is the day that you say that thing that you've wanted to say. Um, or you, embar- you, you know, do something embarrassing or you say something like what just would make a moment interesting between those two characters. And then you kind of do that in a way that works for those characters. Zach, can you think of a moment in that performance that I saw that you think of as like a pivotal moment in the performance for you? Um, I, I guess one moment in particular, I, I think we had, um, our, we'd been talking, you know, our characters been talking about, um, you know, working together and, and all that and how we're going to miss being each other. And then I think at one point I asked, uh, Dave's character to come over to my house that night, which I, and which I felt like was a very big moment for these two people. Um, because his character had been, you know, his wife had recently left, you know, they have a pure working relationship and for my character to ask, um, Dave's character to come over was, was a very huge moment for them. Very huge moment. So, when you were asking that, do you feel like the anxiety of the character in sure. response to like waiting for the response? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, of course it, it, it's acting, but it's, you know, you're putting yourself in the character. It's, it's a difficult thing to say to someone you know, because you're setting yourself up for the possibility of rejection. So his character could, you know, embrace that or, or reject my offer. So. Has improv training and just practice, how has it affected your lives outside of performing on stage? Well, I met my wife at IO. <laughs> so that's one. That still kind of counts as on stage though. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, try, I mean, your day to day interactions with people. I try to say yes more. I mean, I, mm. I am not the brightest, shiniest person on the planet. Like I, I tend to be a little pessimistic. And what I learned from improv is that when you're out there, not on stage, when you're just talking with people often saying yes. And in real life, gets you a lot farther and makes you and the other person a lot happier than saying no because. Uh, so that's been a big life lesson for me. I, I totally agree with that. I, I have a similar thing because I tend to say no a lot or no. And and I and learning and just taking, you know, this simple exercise of yes and from improv and, and applying that to life, it kind of makes you a happier person, you know, and, and makes you... Um, more agreeable. Not to say that you never say no, but um, it, it was because a, it was these a nice aren't little... hard, fast rules. No, they're not. They're just guidelines. <laughs> they're guidelines. They're, they're, just, guidelines. they're simple guidelines, you guys. Um, and it's it's a nice little thing that I picked up and that I, I found I could apply to my own life. Also, I really feel um, for my personal life and, and making me a better actor is 
that it it requires so much of your immediate attention. It makes you a better listener. And mm. I feel that's something that's really helped me out in my life. Cause I space out a lot and I have, you know, bad ADD and I'll just, someone will be talking to me. And it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'll be thinking about cats or something, you know? <laughs> and, and so you can't do that on stage when you're improvising. If you're in a scripted show, you could do it. You could just be thinking about your next line and waiting for your cue line. And then you say your line and you're not even listening to the person. But an improv, in order to, for anything to happen, you have to listen to everything they're saying, and um, and so I think it's I think that's what makes it such a great tool for actors, and and it you know it, it's it kind of embellished my own life for making me a better listener too. Well, that sounds great. <laughs> that's all <laughs> rosy <laughs> and wonderful. No, it really. Thanks, Delilah. So everyone, <laughs> go take an improv class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sold. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Um, why don't we promote the show again? Sure. Uh, the show is Battery Mouth. It burns. It's running every Friday at 7.30 at the DeMott Theater at Piper's Alley uh, through February 18th, and 2010. How, how do people get tickets? They can go to secondcity.com. Can they also purchase them at the door? Yes, they can, as long as we're not sold out. Uh-huh. And who are some of the groups you're going to be performing with coming up? Because you have a different opener each. Right. We have a different week. opener each week. Uh, Electric Lunchbox is opening up for us. Uh, we've got uh, Long Pork, the sketch group, is going to be improvising for a closing night show. Interesting. I will not be performing with Long Pork, though. Okay. So let's talk about Long Pork for a minute. Because <laughs> I can't be in two shows here's, in no, the same here's night. My, here's my uh, uh, view of things. Sure. When I... First was uh, the idea of interviewing Longport came up. I watched all the internet videos because that's what I had access to. And I see you. I see you in these videos. I see you talking about vampires. I see all this stuff. And then uh, the fellows come. I talked to Lee and Charlie. Mm -hmm. Fine gentlemen. Zorn wasn't there? No, he was not. Oh, another? Not when I interviewed. No. Okay. And then I go to the show at Sketchfest. And Zorn's not there. You're not there. They had some other people. They did their thing. It was a fun show. Um, but the word is, yes, you have pneumonia, so you're not there. Yeah. Now, then I come and see you performing improv, Battery Mouth. And I know that at that very moment, Long Pork is in uh, Charleston. Charleston performing mm-hmm. at the Sketch Festival there. And I'm like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> I did not know that uh, you were you oh, until yeah. I showed up at battery mouth i didn't oh, yeah, I, never, yeah. I hadn't made the connection that you were from long pork i'd mm-hmm. even seen the picture but you had a beard and so i didn't yeah i shaved so, it like that day so uh so i'm sitting there looking at the press kit and i'm like wait a minute he's in long pork uh he's that guy well, wait a minute <laughs> long pork's performing this weekend in another city how is this and possible? now you're saying that long pork's opening and you're not performing so my question is, are you really in long? <laughs> well, and <laughs> is this a sensitive subject? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if I think it's, um, I think it's just a little mystery that I'm going to leave to everybody, to you out there. It's, uh, everyone, right. everyone was a little mystery. No, no. I mean, it's just, it's just random timing. I mean, we knew from, uh, from when we decided that long, long pork was going to go to Charleston, that I wouldn't be able to do it because the dates conflicted with Dave uh, and you know, battery, battery mouth show, so we knew I wasn't going to be able to do that. And then, damned if I didn't get 
uh, pneumonia was in like the bed every day of our show and like the days prior to it. So yeah, yeah it was it was really really bad timing uh, for our show, and I felt awful about it. But yeah, so yeah, when when will we be able to see you performing with Long Pork? That's a good question. All right, because uh, <laughs> we don't have any shows lined up. <laughs> Dave, what about your uh, the extracurricular activities? Oh, uh, I'm also a writer and performer with the uh, religious satire show Best Church of God, which is currently performing at uh, Victory Gardens in the Richard Christensen Theater. I'm an ensemble member with um, Comedy Sports, so I perform there. And I'm sure there's something else I do that I can't pull up now. You're married. You and I'm that? married. And, and I hang out with my lovely wife. So that probably is a schedule killer, too. Yeah, like a just time a, killer. <laughs> just a tad. Total time suck. Oh, God. It's so awful. No, it's great. Okay. All right. I baited you, but you didn't, you didn't fall for it. So I guess you're not going to get in trouble. Sucker. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to promote? Is there a website for Battery Mouth? Or where can people... People can learn more at batterymouth.com. Do, do, do. All right. That's NBC. Yeah, that's not us. Not, Sorry. No affiliation. I got to get my own tones for, for Better Mouth. My bad. You really do. Uh, if you'd like to know more about the podcast, you can go to kendallbruns.com. That's K-E-N-D-A-L-L-B-R-U-N-S.com. You can also, if you just found this podcast and you don't know how or why, but you liked what you heard and you want to hear about people you don't aren't friends with listen to other ones you can do that by searching for let's get serious on itunes or um or my name you can find it that way too um let's see i think i got i think that's everything cool we got if you do go to kennelbruns.com there are show notes so you'll see there may be links to certain things we talked about and stuff to make it even we'll probably there'll be links to the uh, drunk history videos. On <laughs> I'm there. sure. Good, because so, I'm going to want to find those later. Yeah, you're going to want to do that. Um, yes, and if you look at the notes for the Long Pork interview, you'll see the Vampires video, which features Mr. Zach Woodington. I'm. That's one thing. I'm. You can actually see me in with <laughs> Long Pork. Yes. So. So. And then it, it exists. Is are there battery mouth videos? Not really. We haven't really made any videos. We've been primarily just improv. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't improv a video? You can. We just haven't done it yet. All right. Okay. Well, no pressure on that. <laughs> um, but you might see that soon on batterymouth.com. Uh, look for that on the homepage in the coming days. Uh, I like to give the guests a final word before we go to the closing music. So how do you want to handle that? There's two of you. Uh, just what our you favorite words. Uh, okay, so go. Spork. Fodder. <laughs>